and they can start the party at Scotland. That's a brilliant goal from Gary Jones. And Henderson, oh, what a goal! Hello and welcome to another episode of the RochdaleAFC.com podcast. My name is Dean and I am joined as always by Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Chaff also with us again. How are you, bud? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Thanks. Good stuff. And Luke, back from his uh, his rest period last weekend. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thanks. And uh, we've got another special guest with us tonight. Editor of the Rochdale AFC programme, The Voice of Scotland, Mark Wilbraham. Mark, thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Yeah, no problem, Dean. Glad to be here. So, um, we'll get underway with the last couple of games. Of course, a terrible defeat down at Peterborough, uh, followed by an emphatic win at Wigan three days later. Um, Quite a remarkable couple of games for Dale. Uh, Ryan, we'll start with that Peterborough defeat, and I know... That you're uh, probably the most positive uh, of of the podcast team, should we say? But there weren't many positives to pick out of that, were there? No, it was poor. I think going down there, I don't think any of us expecting anything. You never do going down there, but I think BBM's hit the nail on the head in his interviews since, and he just didn't turn up. Um, I was surprised with their intensity. The players clearly were. Um, and I was on a Peterborough podcast on Sunday, actually, and he said that's the most intense e in this season as well. So it's, it was clearly, um, I guess it was cause for surprise. But yeah, it was a poor performance, poor result. And draw a line under it, I guess, and we did, as we'll find out later on. Yeah, Chaff, um, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk recently, hasn't there, about uh, the, the first goal being particularly important in Dale games. I think it's something that we mentioned last week, and they obviously got it early on and it sort of set the tone for a pretty poor afternoon even if we did get an equaliser quite quickly afterwards Yeah um, we've seen it a few times when we concede early um, it's pretty much curtains um, and on the flip side of that when we score early um, we've we've gone on to to do well so yeah the, the first goal seems to be absolutely vital in our games um, we always seem to start off quite quick it's how we sort of make the most of that quick start as sort of decides our fortune really in the uh, in the game it seems. Mark, obviously that that first goal for Peterborough it did come through a penalty, didn't it? And it was a should we say a contentious decision that first goal? Yeah, he, uh, the, the the lad went down in instalments, didn't he? That's that's the description I think they give it. And I, I'm I'm wondering whether the um, assistant. <laughs> Um, actually made the decision because they were saying on the commentary that the uh, the ref hasn't oh, sorry they were saying the assistant didn't flag but, but they don't have to flag anymore because they've got the uh, communication system so 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 the assistant could have been saying to the ref penalty from his perspective and the ref went with him or the ref might have just made his own decision I don't know but but at the time I thought it was very dubious and, and I've been watching it back since it's, it's clearly not a penalty um, but the fact we got the game back to 1-1 one, one so quickly meant we were starting again, were we really, at, at 10 past three? Um, but, but did it put us on the back foot? I, I don't know, but it, it wasn't a penalty. 
yeah, Luke, uh, like Mark said there, we sort of give give ourselves an opportunity by getting back on level terms, but then a few poor defensive errors allowed Peterborough to sort of pull away within a 20-minute period, didn't we? Yeah, I think, I think we kind of said it um, when we were recapping over the Sunderland game where there'll be a lot of teams that we face this year where we're going to need to be at our best and, and probably the opposition needs to be um, having an off day for us to kind of, you know, compete somewhat. But when you get back into the game so early on in it, um, to then kind of crumble the way we did, conceding poor goals, um, we kind of we were hit with a double whammy of Peterborough being on form and, you know, well known, aren't they, for, for being a good attacking outfit? They have done for quite some time now, but I feel as though we kind of gift, gifted them some of the goals as well. Um, and it's just a bad, it was a bad combination that, that accumulated in a bad day for us. Yeah, Ryan, sort of touching on the penalty again, um, it was Bowler who gave it away. And although it was a contentious decision, it was a poor display from Bowler, wasn't it? He doesn't quite look like the sort of player we expected after his first couple of games. Do you see him sort of going back to Arsenal in January and us looking for a, a different left back option, maybe? Um, I hope so. <laughs> I've not been impressed with him at all. I think the first couple of games, I think he looked okay, but I was never. It's tough because you're comparing him to Reese Norrington Davis, who's just signed a new contract at Sheffield United. So that was tough. It was always going to be tough for him, but I just think he's he's not good enough defensively. He's not gonna he don't create anything going forward. Um and he's got he's quite a big powerful guy but he doesn't seem to show it on the pitch and I think he's struggled. He's probably been surprised by the, the level both technically and the physicality of it. Um because he's only played under twenty ones football and he's he's not adapted anywhere near as well as Roberts has for example. Um so yeah I fully expect him to go back. Um and you can sort of see why it was just a short term, I guess. Yeah, um, I suppose the disappointing thing is that BBM did say, didn't he, when he came on, chatting to us, that Bowler was his first choice, or he was one of two sort of left backs who were looking at all summer. So it's disappointing that he, he sort of worked so hard to get him, and then he's come in and not quite been the player uh, that we were hoping for. Um, one player who I also thought had a pretty poor game on Saturday, chap, was uh, Jimmy Ryan. Uh, he, he sort of seems to sum Dale up at the moment for me. When he plays well, we seem to play well and he seems to control the ball and possession and tempo in midfield. But then when he's uh, when he's having an off day, as on Saturday, he gives the ball away a lot and it can really put us under pressure, can't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, overall, I like Jimmy Ryan. Um, I think he adds a calmness to the midfield. But like I said, when he's, when he's off form, um, yeah, he's, he's poor and he was on Saturday. Um, he gave the ball away a staggering amount of times, to be fair. And if that was Aaron Morley, all the Facebook groups and um, various social media would be going mental. Um, but, yeah, I thought he was poor. And, um, yeah, in stark contrast, before he went off injured, I thought it was excellent on Tuesday. Mark, we were without a couple of players on Saturday. Obviously, they were also missing on Tuesday, so we, I guess we can't read too much into it. But... Uh, how much do you think the lack of Rathbone in that midfield made a difference on Saturday and, indeed, uh, Jake Beasley, who offers a bit of a fulcrum for Stephen Humphreys to play off, doesn't he, when he's around? Well, we hope so. Anyway, we haven't seen much of them together yet. Well, as regards Rathbone, he just gives you a, a bit more energy in midfield, doesn't he? And, and um, he, sort of, he sort of chugs 
chugs through from midfield to, towards goal sometimes. I'll give you a good description. A few years ago, um, a well-known fan, R17, once called Jamie Allen uh, an electric milk bottle. Um, I'm not quite sure what, what he was getting at, but um, I'm thinking of Jay, uh, Ollie Rathbone in a similar way, that he sort of chug, chugs through from midfield. Um, and it just gives you a bit of energy in, in the centre of the park, which we, which we didn't have. And, and as for Beasley, he's, he's, he's growing on me as Beasley after his, um, his performance. Which was it now? I mean, he played quite well. He was playing quite well at Plymouth when he started and scored the goal. And then obviously he had the collision with the goalkeeper. But it just takes some of the pressure off, off Humphreys. Um, but, but whether that would have helped on Saturday, I don't know, because we just weren't getting the ball. Um, we were bringing the ball under control to get it up front to Humphreys. So would Beasley have made a difference? I, I, I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, Luke, I guess looking at that, um, it does ask a lot of Humphreys, doesn't it, with no Beasley there. If we're trying to say we can't be playing the ball out because we're under too much pressure, uh, to ask Humphreys to then be a target man and help us get the ball away, whilst also providing a threat beyond that, it, it is asking a lot of one player, isn't it? Yeah, I think when he's kind of forced to play that hold-up role, it, it, obviously it's going to take away from him um, kind of getting on the end of things somewhat a little bit. Um, I don't think that was our downfall on Saturday. I think we were just poor and that was that. And, um, you know, we were poor as a collective, really. Um, but having said that, Humphreys is looking, he is a lot more of a kind of complete player, I would say, in comparison to his first spell with us. Um, where he is showing that kind of that well-roundedness to kind of be a target man if he needs to, um, but also kind of at the same time um, have the all-round ability to kind of get on the end of things and kind of you know take on a man with strength, power, pace. Um, so I mean, as as a side to to kind of taking the pressure of him, which I think Beasley does. You know, a side point to that, I think Humphreys is is really looking like kind of the real deal. I think. Um, and he was one of maybe two, three players on against Peterborough where I thought he couldn't have done any more, to be fair. Uh, at, the, at the other end of the pitch, Ryan, obviously, the man who Humphreys is going to be compared to in that scenario is Johnson Clark Harris, who scored the hat-trick on the day. Um, now, that's a striker that's cost Peterborough over a million pounds, and I've, I made the point on the forum the other day that I think PBM is keen to point out that we're trying not to hide behind the finances, but I wonder whether him constantly referring to us not hiding behind the finances is actually his way of sort of making sure the conversation still had. But it does show the gap, doesn't it, when we're playing teams in the same league as us who are able to sort of flex the financial muscle and bring in players worth that kind of money. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I think Peter is slightly different, although I've been on with spending quite a lot. They do tend to sell for quite high fees as well, so it doesn't necessarily even itself out, but it at least gets close. But yeah, to be fair, it raised my eyebrows a bit when I saw them sign him because he was always a good player at Bristol Rovers, but I didn't think he'd make that step up. And he obviously has done, he scored again on Tuesday. Um, and yeah, I think with BBM, I think he's mentioned a couple of times he doesn't want, you know, he listened to some of the interviews and the feedback from Keith Hill's time. And he's probably seen the mistakes that Keith Hill made in mentioning that in pretty much interview, every interview he ever did pre and post match about the finances. So he's probably trying to do that. But like you said, keep keep banging the drum and, and make sure that you know the fans understand, which I think most of us do. We can't keep hiding behind that, I don't think. 
but it was a good performance. He didn't, you know, there were all mistakes, but he still had to finish him and finish him. He did, especially that that volley that came from a Morley clearance. I thought that was a really well taken finish. Yeah, we'll come on to the fact that a couple of the goals were once again conceded from set pieces, that being one of them. But Chaff, I just wanted to touch on one man who you had a bit of praise for last week, and then uh, you were getting stick for said praise after. Uh, Jay Lynch could have done better with, I'd say, at least a couple of those goals. Yeah, I can't defend it, to be perfectly honest with you. It's not just you lads I've been getting stick off neither. Um, I get friend goes mad whenever I uh, say that I think he's better than Josh Lillis because she was quite a Lillis fan. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's as, as, as bad as what people make out. But they were two pretty poor mistakes, I'd say. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I was very disappointed. He's he's got to do. He's just got to do better on it. I want the goals straight underneath him. It's it's awful. I can't. There's, there's no defending it really. Yeah, it was bad timing for him to put in a performance like that, wasn't it? A few days after. <laughs> um, Luke, uh, Luke. One thing as well that sort did frustrate me on Saturday was the fact that. We, even at four one down at half time, three of the substitutes weren't made until the eighty eighth minute. Now, what do you think was the thinking behind that? Do you think just BBM maybe didn't want to throw some young lads in at the deep end and, and sort of force them into a difficult forty five minutes in a scenario where we were likely to get anything out of the game? What what was the thinking behind waiting so long to make those substitutions? Yeah, if I'm second guessing it, I'd, I'd probably put it down to that. Um, it's a kind, you know, I think when things are going right. And, and you see someone like Barr on the bench, for example, you kind of automatically go get Barr on because, you know, at least he'll have a go. But um, maybe the, you know, the, the thought process behind it was to keep him hungry. The game was already lost. Um, keep him hungry to then, you know, with every intention of starting him uh, against Wigan. Um, but I don't know, it is frustrating when clearly it's not going right for us. Clearly, you kind of feel as though changes need to be made. And, um they don't get made until the last five, ten minutes of the game. It just feels like we've not, you know, we've been unwilling to go to a plan B. Um, and I kind of get, you know, our way of playing, generally speaking, and kind of, you know, how BBM wants us to play and kind of achieve that and, and you know, staying true to it. I get that. But in a, in a particular game when it's not, nothing's coming off for us, I do kind of feel as though change it, give it a go, you know, at least... I'll see if we can kind of, you know, if we can mix it up a bit and, and see if we can kind of, you know, change change our fortune really. Because as as good as what Peterborough were, they didn't look great at the back. We just didn't test them. Um, so yeah, it is frustrating seeing the subs get made so late in the game. Um, yeah, I would have preferred him to, you know, given it a go, changing it around, you know, with about half an hour to go, if not at half time, to be honest. Yeah, man, there was a lot of frustration, wasn't there, after the game? Um, and it's something we've spoken about before on the podcast, but I'd like to get your sort of take on the fact that every defeat does seem to be, should we say, overreacted to a little bit on the forum and on social media and stuff. Do you think that's a fair comment, or do you think maybe supporters have a right to be frustrated after a performance like that on Saturday? Um, I think supporters do have a right to be frustrated, but, but you're right. It's it's from one extreme to the other. Um, and I think, I think it was you... Dean, you, you posted ages ago on the forum about, about supporters having some sort of sense of entitlement. Um, and, and I agreed with that because there is a sense of entitlement, not, not amongst Rochdale supporters, um, 
amongst all football supporters, I think. And, and it's just been um, exacerbated by social media um, because you can, you can read any, any team's Twitter feed and when they lose a game, you know, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of tweets of, of, of supporters losing it basically because, because they've, lost, they've lost the game. Um, so I think, I think there is an overreaction to results, whether it's a, a win or a defeat. And it, it's difficult for some people to take the middle ground now. How, how those people take the middle ground, I don't know, because it's in, it's in people's nature and in people's, in people's character. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's uh, social media uh, forums and so on, which is uh, contributed towards it. Whereas on that, on that thread about watching football in the past, not in the 80s and 90s, we didn't have that then. So, so after the game, you didn't really have anybody to speak to, you know, because I, I went home to my mum and dad and everybody else went home to their parents and you didn't speak to anybody else. So by the time you went back to school or back to work, if you're a bit older, you, you'd probably calm down a bit uh, by Monday. So, you know, you'd forgotten about it. So, so yeah, I think there was, there, there is an overreaction to results, but it's an overreaction in both directions, really. Just out of interest, I, I know obviously you say like sort of, there was a time when that, that didn't happen because there was less of a reaction to be had about the game because there was no social media, for example. Yeah. I feel like in the last few years, um, when that first started happening and I'd see things on Facebook, Twitter, about from other teams' fans, I always felt like Dale fans weren't quite as bad. Whereas now it does seem, I don't know if you'd agree, but it does seem like the last couple of years, sort of Dale fans seem to have caught up in a way in that sort of overreaction um, to result. What, what I would say, and, and some, some people might, might disagree, disagree with this, I, I would say that the, the age profile probably of, of people who use social media is, is at the younger end. And by the younger end, I'm sort of talking 30s and below, age 30 and below. Now, I could, I could be wrong with that. Um, I think if you look on the message board, there's probably a lot more older posters on the message board. But on Facebook and Twitter, there's a lot of younger posters. And... It's a difficult one to, to phrase this without being too critical. I think a lot of the youngest supporters have been, have been brought up on a bit more success at Dale. They've enjoyed a bit more success and they find it difficult when we're not as successful. Um, what does surprise me is when you do get the older supporters like, like myself and people who've been going since the 70s before I started going, when it's, when it's them who overreact. Because I'm thinking, come on, you should know better. You. You've, you've, seen, you've seen us have really worse times than this. I mean, people posting things like this, this team's going to go down to the non-league. It's the worst team we've ever had. I mean, look at some of the league tables in the 70s and early 80s. It's not the worst team we've ever had. So I think I think the age and supporting era of uh, some supporters contributes to it as well. I definitely don't uh, disagree with that. Although I think one man who is the youngest member of our podcast team and is by far the most positive... Uh, <laughs> Right, is Ryan and Ryan, you must have been delighted with um, the way that the team reacted on Tuesday and, and putting a, an incredible performance really to win five 0 and sort of silence quite a few of those uh, those dissenting voices. Yeah, we we just started really brightly again, didn't we? And I think we we sort of sort of put our hands around Wigan's neck basically from from the off and suffocated them, and with the pressure we put on the ball when they had it. When we had the ball, we looked so composed. Um, it got a bit scrappy, I think, once we got the second and the third. It got a bit 
bitty from both sides, but we were just so much better than him. And I think there's both sides of it. I think we were too good for him. And I think they were poor, I think, on the whole. But yeah, really good performance. And I think you saw how frustrated they were getting in the second half. We just couldn't get near us at all. Um, Morley played really well. Barr was obviously, you know, electric when he got the ball in space. Humphreys was excellent again. Um, and then, yeah, just a really good composed performance. I was surprised with how composed they were, to be honest, after Saturday. Yeah, chap, we've already sort of said, haven't we, that it seems to be sort of boom and bust with supporters, but it seems to be boom and bust with the with the team at the moment, doesn't it? Why do you think when we are winning games at the moment that we're winning them as emphatically as we are? Um, I'm not sure. We've had two wins, haven't we? Um, where you class it as being emphatic and both times we were up against both sides because that, Plym- that Plymouth side were awful, um, especially at the back. And Wigan, did, they, weren't, they weren't any better. Uh, and I think we just took advantage. I just think everything seemed to, to click in the final third. Um, I thought Aaron Marley was outstanding. Um, I thought Newby was outstanding. I thought Bart caused problems all day long and well when he got the ball he did anyway and yeah it was, we were, they were they were really poor Wigan but we, we just managed to, to take advantage of it and, and we've seen it before where we've not where we've we've come up against sides that are no better than us but we've not been able to you know to, to break through and, and, and get that important goal but I think the early goal just hit them for six um or five as it was, um, and yeah, it it was just all us from from that point on, really. And I don't think it helps that they had Jamie Jones in in that night because he's awful. He's worse than all of us. <laughs> I don't think anyone any of us will disagree with that one. Um, Luke, you, you spoke uh, there a minute ago about Davia maybe waiting to unleash Bar on Tuesday, and he unleashed a hell of a strike, didn't he? A couple of minutes in. Yeah, quality goal. It. Um... Had similarities to, to the goal I thought he scored in pre-season against Stockport, where he kind of cut in and just smashed it. Um, I don't know if Jones was a little bit kind of um, whether he was partially kind of blocked sidewise because he just didn't seem to move, or whether it was just the power of the shot. Um, but it's good to see we haven't got a player like Bar, you know, in, in the team. I don't think, and we haven't had a player like Bar for some time. Um, We've mentioned it before. He's he's kind of one of them where you know supporters will kind of take a liking to because he's willing to kind of get the ball and and drive with it, and it's exciting to watch um, from a fan's perspective. Um, I think kind of the interesting thing now to see him kind of develop will be probably to find uh, consistency and and probably you know teams will be watching us now and teams will be kind of seeing. I thought he was quite as good as what he was on Tuesday. Cuts in a lot. And it'd be interesting now to see him kind of mix his game up because he will be targeted now as, as a threat. Um, you know, I think, what game was it when he came on? Was it Lincoln? When he, or not Lincoln, oh, sorry. Yeah, when he came on, they doubled up against him as soon as he realised how dangerous he was. And he's going to come up against that now. And it's how he can kind of adapt his game um, to still be that threat and, and keep his place in the team. I think that'll be a challenge, the next challenge for him. But um really glad when I saw him kind of on the team sheet to start. Um, what a start he made. It was a great goal. Um, and 
there's a lot of potential there. I think physically when you look at him as well, you know, for a 17-year-old lad, if you compared him to maybe like a Matheson, for example, or um, even like a Brylin and a Hopper, he's, he's and, and Savarez, he's, he's physically more progressed than, than those players, um, which when you look at kind of teams taking a punt on, on players in the lower leagues, um, you know, that's one kind of attribute that they'll be looking for. Um, which hopefully bodes well for potential sell-on in years to come, maybe. But um, I'm, I'd just like to see him mix it up now and kind of, you know, go outside, go inside, you know, um, and, and, and kind of see how he's playing, how his game develops, really. Yeah, I suppose it's time for that, isn't it, at the age that he is. Um, BBM told us to look out for his celebration if he scored as well, didn't he, when he was on the podcast? And mm. It was a <laughs> pretty special one, I have to say. Uh, Mark, we, I, I sort of mentioned it earlier on, but it, it does seem that our games sort of hinge on that first goal at the moment. Um, why do you think that is? I know, I know every team sort of finds it easier when they're ahead and, and are going to be more direct when they're sort of counter-attacking and the other team are chasing a game. But I don't think I've ever seen a team who the first goal seems to affect quite as much as us. Why, why do you think that is? Um, I, I don't know, to be honest. I think it... You say it's down to our style of play, and we, we, we're not we're not a team who generally goes gun go from the first whistle. But but in the in the two games we've mentioned, we have done. Um, but like Chaff said, we've been up against poor poor opposition. But even though they were poor opposition, you've still got to beat them. You've still got to, to take advantage um, of, of the the way they're playing. And I, th- I think it's uh, quite promising for the rest of the season that we have done well against the teams who are below us at the moment. Because we beat Burton, we beat Shrewsbury, um, Wigan, Plymouth are only just above us and now I'll have to drop below us and up to the table, really. Um, so I think it's down down to the way we play. Um, that that's, means if we get the first goal, then we can afford to be a bit more patient. We're not having to try and take the game to the opposition, which probably explains why we're struggling a bit at home because it's, it's, not, it's not suiting us. Uh, to, to play like that at home. Yeah, I think that was the case last season as well, wasn't it? With us beating sort of the teams in and around us at the bottom. And yeah. uh, I mentioned that as well in the forum recently that I do think part of the reason that we haven't won as many games at home is because we haven't played those bottom teams at home as much. Um, I know we've had a couple that you would feel that we should probably win, but we've also played Lincoln and Hull and Sunderland and Portsmouth already at home. So a lot of tough games at Scotland and hopefully uh, well there, there will definitely be easier games to come um, hopefully with supporters at them uh, Ryan one player who does seem to benefit from us taking the lead uh, is Stephen Dooley uh, he had another fantastic game didn't he when he came on on Tuesday and I saw people mentioning he just needs to play on a Tuesday night away from home yeah I think yeah he was really good again but I think we, we touched on it last week I think he's against teams who are going to give us a bit of space and leave him one-on-one with a player. I think he excels and I think he's really good and I think that's why sort of when we were an attacking team when he came, he would do he were doing well when he first came. Uh, but against teams where they're a bit deeper, um, perhaps a bit more aggressive in the press, he struggles because I think he struggles with a two-on-one scenario. He doesn't really know what to do. He probably never had that in Ireland. Um, so he's come over here and I think he's, he's just struggled with it and it's not something he's used to and 
he's not caught up probably as quick as we'd all like, but he would. I thought it was fantastic when he came on on Tuesday again, and you know, I'm glad he got that goal because um, he don't get many, does he? So I, it was really good to see him get on the score sheet, and he looked a bit more confident after that. He was starting to try a couple more things that we've perhaps not seen for a while, and yeah, hopefully it's it's the start. Of, you know, hopefully he can kick on from that and and start showing what he's capable of because. I'm convinced there's a player in there. You just need to show it on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I think it's fair to say you're slightly more convinced uh, than me and Chaff have been over the last few uh, months in particular. But Chaff, one of the clear tactics for me on Tuesday was to get a few more shots off from range. And um, I think was it two goals from outside the box was quite rare by our standards. Um, is that something you'd like to see a bit more of this season? Uh, given that we haven't really scored too many from outside the box before Tuesday, yeah, as long as it doesn't, so it's not the main focus of your play. Then, yeah, if, you, if you're not shooting, you're not going to score. So, we've got to. We we don't want to be a team that purely just tries and works the ball into the box, do we? Because um, we're not going to get anywhere. Um, we do have players who are an asset from outside the area: Jimmy Ryan, Aaron Marley, um, Alex Newby. Matt Lund, you can all hit a ball, so why not give them sort of the opportunity to do so? Um, we, we started last season, Aaron Marley scoring goals from outside the box. Um, and then, yeah, we started again, we got to in, in Alex Newby, who's uh, comfortable, comfortable on the ball, seems to be comfortable with both feet and likes to hit a ball. So, yeah, it's it, it made a very pleasant change to, to get shots in early, really. Just as long as that's not the, your only sort of option, um, I'd say. Yeah, Mark, um, Chaff touched on Alex Newby there, scored two goals, uh, doubled his tally in the league for the club on Tuesday. Uh, what did you make of his performance and what have you made of him so far this season? That he, he sort of fits into that category for me of the sort of X-factor kind of player that we didn't really see enough of last season. Yeah, the, I think the first game I saw him, was it... It Stockport away was that the first, that was the first one that they, they broadcast on YouTube and I I thought he had something about him in that game I quite like the look of him um, now I know he was playing against uh, a team from the level he played at last year so it wasn't um, wasn't a, the perfect game to, to judge him but um, you know I, I like I liked his effort I liked his commitment I like that he didn't seem to hide in any of the games. When it, when it came to playing league football, I think he found it a bit more difficult up against the higher quality of uh, defenders he was up against. But he has improved as, as the season has gone on. Um, but when the whole team had a bad game, he's he's been anonymous as well. So he seems to have excelled a bit more when, when the whole team have played well, which is understandable because we're creating more chances, which means he's going to see more of the ball in, in, in the right areas. I, I was intrigued about why he took the penalty actually the other night, but I'm, I'm glad he did because that that's going to give his his confidence a boost to get to get two goals, uh, two goals at league level. Um, but I think we're going to need a full season from him as well. He's going to need a full season with us, should I say, uh, for him to get in tune with playing at league one level and to and to start looking like a really a really good league one player. Ryan, one one sort of. Negative for me on Tuesday. I, I didn't want to focus on any of them because it was such a, an impressive performance. But I did think um, Hayden Roberts struggled a little bit at left back, and that doesn't look like it's going to be a, a sort of long term option there, does it? No, I, yeah, I, it's perhaps 
a victim of his own success in a way. I don't think he was necessarily poor in any way. I think he just wasn't as good as what he's been at centre-half. Um, for a couple of times when players got in behind. But I don't think they did that, you know, more than what they would bowler, for example. Um, so I don't think it's in any way a bad option. But yeah, I much prefer him at centre-back. I think it would have been quite nice to see him at centre-back on Tuesday, actually, to, to come out with the ball, given that the opposition weren't you know, as good as what we've been used to playing against it would. He might have got himself a goal, for example, you know, running from his own box to the other. But, um, yeah, it's it's not a long-term option for us. And I, I don't think Brighton will want to see him playing there either. Um, certainly not long-term. So, yeah, certainly not as good as he is at centre-back. But it's it's another option for us. Um, and I thought McNulty, who came in, did a really good job and looked like he'd not been away, basically. Well, just, uh, I think Roberts being at left-back highlights how much Bournemouth seems to have struggled recently as well. The fact that Roberts was put there, even though he's a blatant centre-half, and you've got to think that when McLaughlin's fit, um, Keoghan would probably play there as well. And that was never ever going to be the, the intention um, when we brought in a left-back from Arsenal. So I think that I think Roberts playing the highlights how how poor the ball has been, and I think it that going back to the point before, I think we probably will see him go back in January and not probably come back. Luke, one sort of option as well at left back that hasn't really been mentioned weirdly because he actually didn't do too badly there in a couple of games at the start of the season before Bowler come in. Uh, I know Matt Dawn's coming for a lot of criticism for his performances higher up the pitch, but. Is there a possibility you think that he comes in and plays left-back in a few games going forward, especially if we want to play Roberts as centre-back, which does seem to be his best position? I mean, I suppose it's good that we've got the option to do that and we've got the versatility in the team, but um, personally, would rather not see it. Uh, I know he hasn't done much up top, um, granted, but um, I think when he first had that stint at left-back with us, he was really good, um, but that was some time ago. Um, and to be fair, generally speaking, with regards to Matty Dawn, that's kind of been the case, full stop anyway, from a quality perspective. But um, I think maybe we might lose a bit of physicality in, in, in that back line if, if he was to go back in there. Um, I, I kind of still, because I like Matty Dawn for what he's done with us in the past, and I do kind of quite like him. He, you know, it's not as though he, he never puts in the effort or anything like that. So kind of willing him to, to do well, but I think he's... He, he, he finds his he, his general play is quite negative. I feel when he's at left back, I think it's you get your touch and you go back, or you, you know. And what we want to see is kind of getting getting your, your touch in and going forward, especially when we're at home because teams tend to kind of you know sit deep against us, and you know we don't really want to be playing in front of them a lot. And I think Matty Don kind of does that. Unfortunately, when he's at left back, he slows us down a lot. Um, so my personal p- opinion would be that. We didn't, you know, I wouldn't want to see him there, to be honest with you. Mark, I just want to um, sort of ask you where, where you see us at the moment in terms of the season as a whole. I've sort of kept asking these three as we've gone on through the season, so it'd be interesting to get sort of a different perspective on where you see us, where you, whether you think we'll be staying up, um, whether you think we can find a little bit of consistency, how you think the season is going to pan out, basically. Um. I keep changing my mind from one game to the next at the moment about what we're going to do. It's sort of, um, 
I'm sure everybody does the same because we've, we've went four nil and five nil away, and I think yeah, yeah, we've got plenty about just to stay up. But then we perform like we did against Lincoln and Peterborough. But you've, you've got to balance that up against the, the quality of the opposition as well. So, um, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm not I'm not a gambler, but I'll, I'll stick my neck on the line now and say I think I, I think we probably will have enough about us to stay up. But I'm, I'm probably swayed a little bit by, by what's happened this week. But also, I would say I think there are we've seen some teams who who look. As though they might finish below us. Um, I, I, I stopped short saying worse than us there. It's, it's a funny, funny thing to say, is that because we've only seen those teams once. But going off their results, there do look to be some teams who are struggling a bit more than we do, the likes of uh, Burton, Wigan, Wigan, obviously. Um, I think a lot will depend on January as well, because some of those teams who are near to the bottom will probably go out and strengthen in January, the likes of Oxford, Shrewsbury. MK Dons probably, they, they'll be able to go out and strengthen in January, whereas you know we, we won't be able to strengthen to the same extent. But but we've we, we've sort of got this um, seasons keep repeating themselves, don't they, in the last three years, where, where we're in the same position at Christmas time, and then we keep saving ourselves. Um, I just I just hope this time we don't we don't take it sort of down down to the wire down down to Easter time, and I'm. I'm hoping the performances that we've seen in these two away games, um, whereas I, I don't think they'll become the norm, but I think um, playing a bit better away from home uh, more consistently is, is what I think we, we, we can do. Um, and I just hope that we will do it. Where did you see us at the start of the season? Because I, I remember me and Chaff were feeling very negative at the start. I think we both predicted... Uh, relegation at least. I think I even predicted us to finish bottom of the table. Um, were you sort of similarly pessimistic in your outlook or did you always sort of feel yeah. that we might have enough to get a few results? No, I, I, I thought we'd, I thought we'd um, finish in the bottom four at the start of the season. I'd, I'd not looked into um, who, who other clubs had signed because when, when you said we're going to finish in the bottom four, you, you're also not taking into account what other clubs have done. So I'd not taken into account what others have done. It was more that what we'd lost really with Henderson and Camps, um, you know, the main players contributing last season, and and we were late back to training, weren't we? And um, we were late bringing people back off furlough, and we were late adding to our squad. And I, there's there's obviously lots and lots of reasons for that, and I just felt we weren't prepared to to um, attack the season uh, and and stay up really. Oh, I'm, I'm more heartened by what I've seen in, in the last few weeks, a, a couple of games accepted. And like, like the likes of Newby and Beasley, they seem to be getting more in, in tune with, with playing of this level. So hopefully, um, you know, they'll continue their improvement and the team will uh, continue to improve as well. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think, personally, I'm hoping for a, a little bit more consistent consistency, just so there's a sort of running theme to these podcasts because it's becoming more and more difficult to do one where we're talking about a 4-1 defeat followed by a 5-0 win. It just uh, it makes it very hard to sort of get a general tone for one uh, show. Uh, Mark, sort of move on to your um, role as the programme editor at Dale. Um, when How did that come about and how long have you been doing it for now? I think you've been doing it since since I started going to games, to be honest. Um, 
Well, as editor as such, it's been since 2001, since the summer of 2001. I originally started contributing, and I can tell you exactly which game it was. It was, we were due to play Swansea City at home on a Tuesday night in March 1987. That was the first programme I ever wrote for. Um, and there was the lady called Jackie Armstrong. She was like the commercial manager at the time. I don't know who she was, where she'd come from. Um, and the programme was just like this black and white thing that they used to put out. And there was nothing in it, absolutely nothing in it to read. And just round about that time, I was starting to find out how I could um, find out information on previous Dale games, where I could find, you know, read up on the archives and the history, down at the library in Touchstones. So I can't remember how I got in touch with her, but I said, oh, can I, can I write something for your programme about the opposing team? So I just wrote about Swansea City, really, about games we played against Swansea. Um, and then the game got postponed and they, um, they ended up throwing the programmes away. I never actually saw that programme because when the game was rearranged, they, they did another one. Um, so I wrote a few articles in the remainder of that season and then just carried on into the following season, 87, 88. But then the club was in a massive um, financial uh, problem around about Christmas 87. So they, they cut down the number of pages in the programme and I, I uh, didn't write them. They just basically put in the basics. And then a couple of years later, um, an older gentleman called Wilf Wilman, he was a retired, I'm not sure what he did for a job. I think he worked in, in a, in the banking industry he took over as the editor of the program and he got some of his old team to come back and, and write so there was me there was a uh, you know the Woodall twins yeah. Woodall twins. yeah they wrote as well um and slowly but surely we built the, the program up over time but then wilf did something which um never ever made the public domain but it's absolutely hilarious uh, so I'm going to have to tell you, ended up with him leaving, leaving his role as programme editor. It was, it was, in fact, it's 30 years ago this, this week, actually, thinking about it. We were playing somebody like York City at home on Boxing Day, or near to Boxing Day. And he did this humorous page in the programme where he gave song titles for each player. Um, and we had a player called Chris Lee, whose dad was the assistant manager, Jeff Lee. And Chris Lee was not a fan's favourite, but he was in the team because his dad was the assistant manager. So um, in this list of songs, Wilf put um, for Jeff Lee, the sun ain't going to shine anymore. By the Walker Brothers, I think. Chaff, is it the Walker Brothers? I don't know, that's before my time, that captain. Oh, <laughs> I thought you thought you were pot master, Chaff. Anyway, um, so it's called The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore. So these, these programmes were there in the club shop and Jeff Lee had come in and he just picked one up. He's reading through it and he went absolutely ballistic, Jeff Lee did. Um, anyway, the game got postponed <laughs> and Steve Wormsley came in as commercial manager and he got rid of Wilf, Wilf Wilman. And then Steve Wormsley took over the programme. But Steve Wormsley had his own way of doing things. And to cut a long story short, everybody who wrote for the programme just sort of resigned from it, said they weren't going to do it because they didn't like the way he was he was treating them. I have got a copy of that York programme. So if anybody wants me to scan the page, you can see the song titles. I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. 
it is funny. So, so that was like 1991, and I was just coming to the end of uh, university then, and then I started working. So I just I was just watching games um, up to 97 when R17 came back to work for the club with Richard Richard Wild. Um, and they asked me to write for them if I'd if I come back and write for them because we've been doing the fanzine in between exceedingly good pies. So then R17 left in 2001 to set up his own business and I, I've been doing the editing ever ever since. So since 2001-2 season, which was our first season, we got to the playoffs. You called yourself a, a lucky over in that case. Um, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it was all down to me. <laughs> Um, you, you sort of mentioned that when you first started writing with the programme, it was very, very basic um, output. Now it's obviously um, a brilliant read every every issue and you, you've won quite a few awards along the way, haven't you? How does it feel when, when you're sort of given that uh, recognition for the work that you put in with those with those awards? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really good. It's really pleasing. But what I would say about awards is it's... Um, Everyone has a different opinion. One one set of people might might put the programs in a rank order one to twenty four, and someone else might put them in a completely different order. So it's all subjective, really. Everybody has a different opinion, and I and I will look at some programs and think, yeah, that one's really good. Somebody else might think, no, I don't like that one. Um, but I I know if I've if I've written something and I've put something out. I, I tend to know if, it, if I think it's pretty good or if it's if it's not not too good. So it's disappointing when you think you've done something that's really good and it it gets uh, down the ratings. Um, but when when it is recognised and you do get your reward, um, rewards, it's it, yeah, it's really pleasing. Obviously, it's like anything; it's like a recognition for something that you've done. Um, and, and also, it's outside my. Um, profession as well, so it's something that I'm doing outside my profession, so it is, it is very pleasing. Just for those of us, well, there's a couple of us in here that have contributed to the programme, but for those that are listening that maybe don't understand just how much effort and, and time goes into um, each issue, do you want to sort of speak to that and say just, just how much time, because like you say, it isn't your profession, it's something that you're doing sort of in your spare time. It- I get asked that question a lot about how long does it take, and it's it's never a question I can answer because I tend to be working on about three at once. I'm always working on the next three, um, so it's really difficult to say. But if you sort of look at look at the last program, which was the Rotherham one in March, you could break it down into articles that were current, so which have been written. In the, in the two to three weeks before, and also things which aren't current. So I tend to write those in the in the pre-season. So as soon as I know which teams we're playing, maybe the other 23 teams are in the division, I'll tend to write all the historical stuff against them. And I'll do that during the close season and in, in the school holidays when I'm on holiday. And then I'll just update them after we've played them away, you know, if, if we're playing them at home later in the season. Um, and then it's, it's also getting the, the stuff from other people like yourself and Chaff and, and all the other contributors. Um, it doesn't take too long to edit stuff that people send, send in because it's all on a Word document and it's just a case of, you know, maybe correcting spelling, etc., and just, just breaking some of the sentences up. So I can't actually put a time on how long each programme takes, but I, 
if you ask me to guess, you're probably looking at 20 to 30 hours per, per issue, but I, I could be well off with that. It's a, it's a seriously impressive effort, though, and I think there'll be a lot of fans that maybe don't realise just how much uh, time does go into it, so that's quite an interesting insight. Um, you sort of touched on a few things that you've uh, enjoyed doing that maybe have fallen flat, but what have been the, uh, the your favourite sort of features over the years that you've really enjoyed doing and that people have reacted to uh, in, a, in, a, in, a more pos- in a more positive manner, shall we say? Oh, God, that's a good question. I mean, there's, there's one one um, article that does get a lot of positive comment, which, which isn't one I write, actually. Scrutator gets a lot of uh, positive comment because it's an opinion column written by a fan. Um, I'm not allowed to reveal who Scrutator is, even though some people might know. Um, but it is, that one gets a lot of positive comments um, from people. God, you've, you've got me there. I, I, wrote, I wrote an article a few years ago. I'm, I'm going back to when, was it when Coleman was the manager, I think, in his, in his full season, his first full season, or his, the season when he started, was 2012-13, wasn't it? And I wrote an article called Eavesdropping, which was, was basically... Um, so two people were having a conversation about a previous game against the opponents of the day. And I quite enjoyed that one because you could just waffle. You didn't need to have any sort of structure to what you were, to what you were writing about. Um, I got that idea from a cricket magazine because they have an article called Eyewitness where they speak to some cricketers or um, commentators and officials about a particular cricket match, an incident in cricket matches and they do it as a conversational piece so that's where I nicked that idea from and I just called it eavesdropping so I quite like that one um, there was one I was writing last season which obviously got cut short which was a bit annoying because I had 25 of them planned out and it was uh, about things that you don't see in football anymore it was like whatever happened to so I shoot league ladders for example um, the hometowns of the uh, referees you're not allowed to put those in your program anymore and I, I often say when I'm travelling to away games that I've learnt where some places are just because I've heard it on a referee's um, name on the back of the programme. But we are we are seriously not allowed to do that anymore. You're not you're not allowed to put it in. Um, so th- those are two of the the favourite the favourite ones. Uh, I think I quite like writing the through the years to what was happening five years ago, ten years ago, etc. Because. It amazes you, first of all, that something was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, you can remember it really clearly. So I quite like writing those, but I do cheat a little bit on them because everything I've written for the programme, I've got saved on my external hard drive. So if I have to use a game I've written about before, I just get the documents up and copy it across. Can't be. Really revealing those sort of trade secrets. <laughs> I, suppose, I suppose it makes sense to do it, really. And you've sort of nicked one of my questions there as well, because one of them was going to be who is Screwator, so thanks for that. Um, a couple of things that you sort of do beyond the programme as well, you've been doing the sort of stat, the stats magic um, articles on the watchdc.com in, in the absence of the programme. Can you talk us through sort of where that information comes from? Because it's an absolute treasure trove and we've been really enjoying reading them. I know everyone on the forums uh, really reacted well to them as well. I mean, the, re- the reason I started doing it was because I won't say I got bored because I've had no programmes to do this season because I, ever since March, really, since lockdown started, um, I've been updating all my sort of records and spreadsheets and just, just getting everything updated so that when 
we do return to doing programmes probably next season. Um, all, all my records are a bit more up to date and a bit more detailed than what, than what they were before. So, so most of the information is on spreadsheets, which I've put together myself. Um, and I've also got help from Stephen Phillips, who's written the history books. He sent me some of his old files. Um, but a lot of it is spreadsheets. And I've got myself, I've just got one big spreadsheet with all the results in, the, the date of the game, the opposition, the result, the venue. And then I'm using that spreadsheet to produce the statistics. There are other tabs on the spreadsheet. I've, I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite adept on a spreadsheet anyway, but I've, I've done quite a lot on YouTube well um, to teach myself how to do things. And then it's just a case really of picking out the numbers and turning them into an article because I could show you the numbers, but you might not see anything significant in them. Um, because because of my other pr profession, I'm, uh, I'm I'm quite good at working with numbers, so so it does help a little bit that I can interpret data. So that, that's really where it comes from, and also you can twist some of the statistics to make things sound better than they are as well. So it, it basically comes from from my computer and my spreadsheets, and and also from things I've read in the program as well, and just regurgitating them because a lot of a lot of features, whether they're in a programme, a magazine, a newspaper, they are the same thing, just written in a slightly different way. Um, so, so that's where it comes from, really. But I've, I've enjoyed doing it. It's just given me something a little bit extra to do as well in the evenings. Just, just sort of how deep is that spread? Are those spreadsheets? Because I, I saw something on the uh, on the forum the other day. Is the is the facts that like. It goes into what kit we were wearing and things like that in certain games. Like just it, I just wanted to sort of get a feel for just what the extent of the of the data um, available is. The, the the thing with the kit was that that came from four four two Dale because yeah. he was he was writing an article for the program a couple of years ago about games in which we'd worn unusual kits. Um, like we played, was it Macclesfield at home in the? Nine ten promotion season, we trotted out in purple shirts, white shorts, and blue socks, and they came out in all black um, because they turned up with black, and the ref said their black was too close to our blue and black, so he made us change our home shirts. So he was writing an article on games like that, and I, I said, "I'm going to put kits onto the spreadsheet." So I went through and put on what I could remember, sent it to him, and he added a few more in. Um, so we have got some gaps. So since I started watching in 1982, there are some gaps because I didn't go to many away games when I first started. Going, so I have no idea what kits were worn in some of those away games. Um, so that, that's where that came from, really. Um, but as with all spreadsheets, you just you just filter out what you want. So like I think I think he mentioned something about us wearing black socks. Was it at Plymouth? Something I was winning in black socks. So I just went onto the spreadsheet. I filtered out the two columns, one column with wins and one column with black socks. So, um, <laughs> I must admit at the time, I was like, how on earth has, how on earth has he got that? <laughs> yeah, some of, like I've, um, I put a couple up last night. One, it was our um, biggest ever away win on a Tuesday night. Well, on a Tuesday, not Tuesday night, a Tuesday, because we could have played on like a boxing day, couldn't we? Well, that was easy because I just filtered out the day column and filtered out the wins column. And when you when you do a filter on a spreadsheet, it gives you all the options. And win five nil was the bottom option, so that's what I knew that was the biggest 
biggest win on the spreadsheet. So we did the, the the big task is getting the data into the spreadsheet, but once it's there, you can just filter things out. And I just make sure I update it after every game because if I leave it a week or so, I'll, I'll forget forget things. Um, so yeah, lockdown's been a bit of a godsend, really. I've been able to do things I couldn't do. <laughs> hey, you mentioned sort of um, using YouTube there as to, to learn a few things about your spreadsheets, but you also used it for your own account, which I don't think enough people know about. Um, that It's an absolute treasure trove of old Dale footage. Um, I think I messaged you when I when I first uh, when I first sort of not came across it because I knew it was there, but when I first sort of realised the extent that was on there, I spent pretty much a whole day just watching old games. Like, where does all that footage come from? And, and, and... Well, I'm I'm a bit of a hoarder. I hoard, I hoard things, um, which used to annoy my mum when I lived at home. <laughs> my mum and dad. Well, when are you when are you going to get rid of all this junk? They used to say. My dad be stood there with this massive handful of shoot magazines. What about it's not junk? Um, so I used to record the highlights program. Um, you're probably a bit too young to remember it, but they used to show it at one o'clock on a Tuesday morning. This is in from about 1994 onwards. It was called Ensley League Extra and then Nationwide League Extra. So I used to record it um, at one o'clock in the morning. And what I did then was um, at school they had um, two video recorders. This this is how far back it was. They had two video recorders because they they used to want to copy, um, you know, films for history or whatever on, onto multiple video recorders, onto multiple video cassettes. Sorry. So I used to take my um, tape into school and copy the Dale footage onto another video that I was building up over time. So that that's where the uh, the nineties stuff came from. It was me recording it off Ensley League Extra. Um, and then obviously video recorders became obsolete. So I had to find out how to get them onto DVD and R17 knew somebody through his business who would convert video to DVD. So he did a lot of conversion stuff for me. And then the next thing I had to learn was how to get from DVD onto computer. So that was again going onto YouTube. And then I, I put them in the program because one of the questions that often gets asked of program editors is how do you make use of new technology such as QR codes and I just had a light bulb moment I thought I, I could put all my footage on YouTube and put a link in the program to a game if I feature it and if anybody's interested they can scan scan it on the phone at, at the ground or, or at home and it's just gone on from there really so I found a QR code downloader online I found a YouTube downloader so it's just, just gone from there, really. And, it's, and again, every, every time I write something about a game, if I haven't put the footage on YouTube and I've got it, I'll put it up. But now, of course, all the footage is on YouTube from the last, what, five, six seasons anyway, isn't it? So I don't need to, to do any more uploading of, of current games. It's, uh, it's a brilliant way to, to spend an afternoon, I have to say, just uh, allowing them to all sort of play one after the other. And it, 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 I think it goes in a sort of random order as well, so you just get games from like late 80s and then one from a couple of seasons ago. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, I definitely recommend all Dale fans to find a bit of time to sort of have a look through. Um, just... what's, what's the channel called? It's just my, uh, it's just TVOS 1907 is the user. And, uh, and also, Dean, if I find... Um, some old Dale footage on YouTube is like manna 
Yeah. Yeah. I found, what did I find the other day? Oh, I, I found something from a game that I've been at in the 80s or 90s, and I've never, ever seen it before. I can't remember which one it was now. So as soon as I find something I've never seen before, I, I download it onto my computer. Car, there's a Carlisle fan called Jeff Jackson. He's got a fantastic YouTube channel with loads of Carlisle footage on from the 90s. When we were playing, we were playing Carlisle two or three times every season then. So virtually every Dale game is on and Harlequin have got quite a good one as well. So there's obviously somebody of those clubs who did like I did and just, just recorded everything off the television. Yeah, I think it's important that there are sort of those records as well that, that we can look back on and sort of, especially we were talking before about maybe that entitlement that's crept in, maybe it's uh, something that a few fans could do with going looking back and sort of remembering those uh, different times, shall we say. Um, I just wanted to touch on what you think the future is for um, for T-Boss and you, you sort of mentioned about using di- uh, new technology, but what do you think the, the future is for football programmes on the whole? Because it has been a hot topic of debate, hasn't it, in the last couple of years? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, really, and, and the pandemic has um, has brought it back to the fore, really, because some clubs are still doing them. Um, Peterborough did one last Saturday, Wigan did one on Tuesday, and Black, Blackpool have just emailed today for some material, so Blackpool must be doing one. Burton and Oxford did a download, one you could download. It, Ipswich did one, but no, no other clubs, as far as I know, have done one who we played away this season. Um, so I think all the Premier League clubs have been doing them I think, with the exception of, I know Man City and Burnley haven't done physical programmes City have done a download I don't think I don't know about Burnley I don't think they've done anything um, but, but of course these clubs have got bigger audiences to sell to so if you take like Man United for example they, they, they could post them thousands abroad so they will be posting them to people who wouldn't be at the games anyway yeah, um, they probably posted a few to Haywood as well. <laughs> very good. Yeah, very good. Are they still winning two one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, as far as the big clubs go, I think I think there's still some future in them. But if you ask me to be honest, I'm a bit I'm a bit um, sceptical whether they will continue in the lower leagues. Um, Dale as a club are very supportive because. The, the people at the club on, on the directors, they, they are very supportive and they see it as, as a way to make a, a little bit of money for the club. Plus, it's, it's getting the advertisers out to support us on a match day because if, if you see adverts coming up on a website, I, I, I don't look at them, I skim over them. Um, and, and people who pick up the programme might skim over them as well. But if, if I've got an advert facing an article, and someone's reading the article, they may glance at the advert. So that, that's sort of the selling point that the, the club have got there. So the, the club are quite supportive of it, but I, I'm just a bit sceptical about whether in, in future there, there will be there will be programmes because, as you say, things are a lot more um, immediately accessible now online. And also, your programme collectors, especially the really serious ones, they're not young people; they're older people, and I don't think the youngsters are as um, are as interested. So, I'm a bit sceptical and a bit concerned about the, the future of them. But I don't. Um, it's, it's not. It's not my sort of career. It's not my profession. So I'm not. I'm not relying on them to to, to keep me going, am I? So um, 
it would be a shame if they stopped at him because there's a lot of heritage in there. But I am I am a bit sceptical about the future of them. Yeah, fingers crossed that, that there's enough of us out there that sort of appreciate what they are. And I think there is. Um, I think there has been sort of a bit of a comeback, hasn't there, for sort of physical copies of things in the last mm. few years as well, which might be might be a positive. Um, Mark, I just wanted to ask you a few quick fire sort of things as well. I'm aware that we're sort of running out of time a little bit, but um, I know you'll have seen during the summer that me and Chaff and Ryan joined us for a couple, uh, sort of went back through our favourite moments and favourite things like that. And as a, as a fan who's, who was attending a few years before us, I don't want to reveal your age or anything, but um, I just wanted to ask you sort of a quick fire answer for a few of those questions and see if there's any that were sort of before our time that, that others uh, listeners might remember. So I wanted to ask who your favourite uh, Rochdale goalkeeper was. My favourite goalkeeper uh, was Keith Welch. Um, and the reason it's Keith Welch is because he was only a couple of months older than me. And when I was at school, I used to play in goal. So I used to think I could be Keith Welch. I thought if Keith Welch can do it, I can do it. Now, obviously, we were both 18 at uh, the time when he started playing. So I'd gone beyond that. Um, but he was my favourite goalkeeper. And I, I got the chance to interview him about six years ago when we played Bristol City. Um, I found him. I found his wife on Facebook, actually. And I made contact with her and got to speak to him. So... Um, he was my favourite goalkeeper. I told him as well, and he was a bit he was a bit embarrassed about it. Uh, I mean, I hope he's doing well now. I've not heard any anything more about what's happened to him because he'd had uh, he had cancer. I'm, I'm not sure what what situation is with him now, but but yeah, he was my favourite because he was so young. He got thrown into the team. Um, do you know Do you know the story about how he got thrown into the team? I, I don't. I know he ended up having quite a, a good career. Yeah. We had a goalkeeper called Dave Redfern and he broke his finger. We, we got beat 5-0 at Northampton. Northampton got something like 200 points that season. They, they, were, they were so far ahead of everybody. and we, we, They beat us 5-0. They absolutely stuffed us down at their old ground 5-0. Dave Redfern broke his finger. We had no other goalkeeper. So Keith Welsh had to play in the next game, which was against Chesterfield in the Brave Rover Trophy. And I think over the next four seasons, he only missed about four games and two of them because he got sent off suspended um, and Dave Redfern we never saw him playing for us again which was a shame um, so yeah Keith Welch definitely my, my favourite goalkeeper uh, and favourite defender God favourite defender I'm going to go for Joe Cook um, which some of the older fans will remember Joe Cook played for us in the mid 80s um, he'd had an excellent career playing for Brad, Bradford City mainly initially as a striker then he turned to a centre half and he came and played for us we only had him for two seasons, um, but I, I just thought it was excellent. I thought it was an excellent centre half. Um, didn't take any prisoners, um, and and he managed to get himself sent off at Stockport for um, landing one on a Stockport player who was actually on loan from Dale at the time. So I think that happened a couple of years later, didn't it? The other way around with uh, was it Dave Bayliss who Dave Bayliss? Oh, did oh yeah when we played Luton. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that's on YouTube. It's on my YouTube, is that? Yeah? <laughs> um, I think tell me about the Joe Cook at Stockport. I'll tell you a story about the Joe Cook at Stockport one. So Barry Diamond was the player. He was on loan to Stockport from Dale. Quite why we let him play, I've absolutely no idea. But he played. Um, it was about 15 minutes into the game and it was an off-the-ball incident and the Stockport crowd all shouted. The ref went to the uh, linesman and sent Joe Cook off and 
Stockport won 3-0. They got two penalties. I bet you can't guess which Stockport player got fouled for both penalties, can you? Um, Diamond played Barry Diamond, yeah, it was Barry Diamond. Anyway, the, the game at Stockport, um, the referee was called Keith Hackett, who was like a top referee of the time. You know, he's a bit like, like your Michael Oliver type person now. And he's on Twitter as Keith Hackett. He's very, very vocal on Twitter. And I have tweeted him about that game. Um, I've, I've given him a bit of stick about it, but he never responds. <laughs> I suppose stop, I suppose having refereed like Man United, Liverpool and, and international football, Stockport being Rochdale is probably not in his memory banks. <laughs> but but um, Richard uh, Wilde interviewed Joe Cook for the programme uh, about 15, 20 years ago and he asked him about it and he said he did land one on Barry Diamond. <laughs> to be fair, I think there's a few uh, there's a few Dale fans who, who maybe wish that one of our players was a Lancer or a Stockport player the other week. To be honest, yeah, yeah. I think you know the next question will be, but favourite midfield player? Well, it's got it's got to be Gary Jones, hasn't it? You know, I mean, his his career, his longevity for us, his, his contribution to to what we did in good times and bad times. Um, yeah, so it's got it's got to be Gary Jones, um, and it's such a shame it ended the way it did for him. But I'm, I'm pleased he, he came back to the uh, Joe Thompson game the other summer. Um, and he's been back to the club for a few other functions. So, yeah, Gar- Gary Jones will always be my favourite midfielder. Yeah, and I'm still not forgiven, uh, Ryan, for not having Gary Jones in his all-time eleven. <laughs> <laughs> and favourite forwards? Ooh. I'm, I'm going to probably say up front, I, I used to really like Steve Taylor, who played in the same team as Joe Cook. I mean, I'm naming a lot of players from when I was a kid here. I think I think you have more favourite players when you're a lot younger. Um, so Steve Taylor, he scored something like 30 goals, I think, in 85-86. He was, he was a joint winner of the Golden Boot in Division 4 that season. Um, and we weren't far off having to apply for re-election as the season ended. We'd had a flying start to the season. He was scoring all the time, but then we just hit the buffers after we'd played Man United. Um, but he got 30 goals, Steve Taylor. Um, and a bit like Henderson, he would have scored a lot more, but he did miss a few penalties as well in, in that particular campaign. He would have he would have won the Golden Boot. But then we criminally sold him to Preston for about £10,000 the following season. Um, and he came back to play for us in 88-89, but he, obviously he was like three years older then and he'd lost his, lost his pay, he'd lost his... Uh, instinct in the area. He, he he was a great player. It's a shame there's no footage of him playing for Dale, but there is footage of him on YouTube playing for like Burnley and Oldham because they were always on Granada television a lot in his in his era in the early eighties. Next one's favorite loan player. Uh, favorite loan player. I'm, I'm going to pick somebody who actually turned into a permanent signing. I'm going to go for Lyndon Simmons, who was was amongst. Two or three players who saved us from going out of the football league in 1987. He came in on loan from Leeds and he's got such an unusual name, Lyndon Simmons. You know, he doesn't sound like a footballer, Lyndon Simmons. But he'd actually scored against us earlier that season. He was on loan at Swansea. So when he signed on loan for us, I thought, I've heard of him. I'm sure he scored against us this season. And he, he came in about February on loan from Leeds because Eddie Gray was our manager and Eddie Gray knew him from Leeds. And he, I think he scored about 10 goals between February and the end of the season in, in a team that nearly got relegated. And then we signed him permanently. He continued to score 12, 13 goals in a very, very poor team. But then, unfortunately, had to retire. He had a 
hell of an injury, I think, and it ended his career. But yeah, Lind- Lyndon Simmons was my favourite long player. And uh, a final one, I think when we when we chatted about this one, we said we started off as our favourite goal, but it ended up being our favourite moment as a Dale as a Dale fan. So I'll ask you, what was your what's been your favourite moment uh, in supporting Rochdale? My favourite moment was probably when Ben Muirhead put that penalty in against uh, Darlington. Because some people say the O'Grady goal against Northampton to get us promotion, which obviously that was uh, that was superb. But I think we knew we were going to get promoted at some point in that month. We just kept messing it up, didn't we? Like the Torquay game and then the other Darlington game. But the Muirhead one, it was just... It was instantaneous. It was like, if this goes in, we've got to Wembley. And I, I never, ever thought I'd see my team play at Wembley. And I always said I'd never go to Wembley until Rochdale got there. That, that was one thing I always said. Um, but I did actually go to the old Wembley like a couple of times before uh, we got to the new Wembley. Um, so I brought, I brought my own rule, really, because I got the chance to go to Wembley a few times. So that, for me, was the greatest moment. But it was also the whole... The, the game as well because we were three one down on aggregate, um, so so to come back and, and win the game on penalties and the fact the game finished at about three o'clock meant we had a long a long night as well. So the whole day was just was just fantastic really, especially after Dar- somebody at Darlington had been putting um, leaflets on the cars advertising Wembley travel up at their ground. So. Yeah, I remember that. But I, but, I, but I like Darlington and we had some good games with them and they're very similar club to us and I'd, I'd rather be playing Darlington than um, you know some of the some of the teams that we have played since shall we say yeah diplomatic answer that answer there <laughs> uh, Mark thanks very much for giving up your time to chat well, to us tonight it's been uh, it's been enlightening I think for a lot of people hearing about the program and also um, I think it's it's good to get. Uh, a few memories of players from before our time as well, because I'm sure we've got a lot of listeners that maybe uh, have been frustrated at a lack of mentions for the likes of Lyndon Simmons and, and Joe Cook. So a big thank you to you for coming on and joining us tonight. No worries. Uh, and also Luke, Chaff, Ryan, thanks as always, guys. Cheers, no lads. Cheers, Mark. Uh, we'll uh, reconvene in a week or so's time to chat through uh, the next couple of Dale games. So thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Love the Dale.